friends, family, and foes. This is Neil Parks, your host for Paranormally Speaking. Don't know what happened to my mind there for a moment. I'm getting ready to go into my daughter's soccer game, and I had a momentary lapse. Someone just pulled in driving a gorgeous red Dodge Viper. You don't see many of those anymore. I'm assuming it's vintage. Anyway, this is a special call to Halloween Arms episode. Uh, This will be sort of a precursor to the coming attraction of my routine annual Halloween special I do the week of Halloween. I have something special lined up for all of my guests, guests, listeners. See, I see a Dodge Viper. I flip out. I hope everyone's had a great week so far. The weekend is upon us. And like I said, I'm about to go and watch a soccer game. And it's currently 9.30 in the morning. And I'm about 45 minutes from my house. I should have fun. My daughters uh, really kick ass at playing soccer. She's mighty and tiny. But hang in here with me. I'm going to be discussing Halloween, mummies, vampires, uh, scary tarantulas, zombies, witches, and fact versus fiction, myth versus reality. There's so much to cover and so little time. Please hold for an important message from one of my many sponsors. Monster.fandom.com That's monster.fandom.com. Halloween is upon us. What a great time of the year it is. It's one of my favorite times. Precursor to Christmas. Gets the holiday juices flowing. Great time to be alive. Right now, Halloween origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain. And right now I'm going to share eight of Halloween's most hair-raising folk legends. When it was believed, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. It has since evolved into a holiday when spooky legends, myths, and folklore take center stage. You know, through costumes, stories, and celebrations during the Halloween season, mythical beings from witches to zombies to werewolves all come to life, and each of the season's creepy beings carries its own dark history. To start off with, witches. Images of witches have appeared in various forms throughout history. From evil wart-nosed women huddling over a cauldron of boiling liquid to hag-faced cackling beings riding through the sky on brooms wearing pointy hats. But the real history of witches is a dark, dark history and dates back to as far as 900 BC. Vampires. Vampires are evil mythological beings that roam the night in search of victims to suck their blood often associated with Count Dracula, the legendary subject of Bram Stoker's epic 1897 novel Dracula. The history of vampires began long before Stoker was born. Vampires harken back to the ancient Greek mythology and embody a superstition that thrived during the Middle Ages. Werewolves. Werewolves are, according to some legends, people who morph into vicious, powerful wolves. Others are a mutant combination of human and wolf. All are bloodthirsty beasts. Descriptions of werewolves date back as early as Greek mythology and even Nordic folklore. Zombies. The zombie often portrayed as the undead, flesh-eating, decaying corpse. As seen, um, it has seen a popularity surge, of course, in recent years, if not 
the last couple of decades, thanks to music videos, TV shows, and some movies. Unlike many other monsters, which are mostly a product of superstition and fear, zombies have a basis in fact. Several credible reports and medical journals describe people using certain compounds to first introduce paralysis in people and then revive them. In Haitian voodoo culture, folklore featuring undead beings has been around for centuries. Mummies. A mummy is a person or animal whose body has been dried or otherwise preserved after death. When people think of a mummy, they often think of ancient Egyptians, who have been making mummies as early as 3700 BC. Mummies may not literally rise from their ancient tombs and attack with their arms outstretched, like in Hollywood-era version films, but they're um, quite real and have a fascinating history. Hello, kids and adults in the listening audience. I'm Neil Parks, award-winning author and paranormal expert. I'd like to wish all of you a very happy Halloween. You are listening to Big Bad Daddy Wolf's Halloween special on 96.6 The Wolf. If you'd like to learn more about me, then you need to get to Google and search at The Neil Parks or my bookstore website, which is www.lulu.com slash spotlight slash Neil Parks. Thanks. Behold, creepy Halloween tales and traditions. On Halloween, people shed reality for a day and mark the holiday with costumes, decorations, and parties. Creepy legends and characters have evolved based on real, terrifying events. And a Halloween tradition of confronting the dead has led to legions of ghost stories and some hoaxes in the mix. A fear of vampires was spawned by consumption. During the 19th century... The spread of tuberculosis or consumption claimed the lives of entire families in Rhode Island, Connecticut, Vermont, and other parts of New England. Before physicians were able to explain how infectious diseases were spread, hopeless villagers believed that some of those who perished from consumption preyed upon their living family members. This spurred a grim practice of digging up the dead and burning their internal organs. Why haunted houses opened during the Great Depression? In the period leading up to the Great Depression, Halloween had become a time when young men could blow off steam and cause mischief. Sometimes they went too far. In 1933, parents were outraged when hundreds of teenage boys flipped over cars, sawed off telephone poles, and engaged in other acts of vandalism across the country. People began to refer to that year's holiday as Black Halloween. Similarly uh, to the way they referred to the stock market crash four years earlier as Black Tuesday. Rather than banning the holiday, as some demanded, many communities began organizing Halloween activities. And haunted houses to keep restless would-be pranksters occupied. Jack-o'-lanterns and the legend of Stingy Jack. An Irish myth about a man nicknamed Stingy Jack is believed to have led to the tradition of carving scary faces into gourds. According to the legend, Jack tricks the devil into paying for his drink and then traps him in the form of a coin. The devil eventually takes revenge and Stingy Jack ends up roaming earth for an eternity without a place in heaven or hell. Jack does, however, have a lighted coal, which he places inside a carved turnip creating the original jack-o'-lantern. Abraham Lincoln's ghost in the White House. 
For years, presidents, first ladies, guests, and members of the White House staff have claimed to have either seen Abraham Lincoln or felt his presence. Grace Coolidge, wife of Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president, was the first person to report having seen the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. She said, He stood at a window in the Oval Office, hands clasped behind his back, gazing out over the Potomac, perhaps still seeing the bloody battlefields below. Spirit photography claims to capture ghosts on film. In the post-Civil War era, when many Americans were reeling from loss, a photographer named William Mumler claimed to capture ghosts on film. While taking self-portraits for practice, one of Mulmer's prints came back with an unexplainable apparition. Although he was quite alone in the room, when the shot was taken, there appeared to be a figure at his side, a girl who at that time was made of light. Mumler showed the photo to a spiritualist friend who told him the girl in the image was almost certainly a ghost. Mumler then began a swift business in so-called spirit photography. Irving writes The Legend of Sleepy Hollow after fleeing yellow fever. Washington Irving's 1820 tale of a headless horseman who terrorizes the real-life village of Sleepy Hollow is considered one of America's first ghost stories and one of its scariest. Irving may have drawn inspiration from his story while a teenager in Terrytown, New York. He moved to the area in 1798 to flee a yellow fever outbreak in New York City. Irving's story takes place in the New York village of Sleepy Hollow. A lanky newcomer and schoolmaster, Ichabod Crane, is chased by a headless horseman. In the tale, Irving weaves together actual locations and family names and a little bit of Revolutionary War history with pure imagination and fantasy. Horror movies inspired by real stories. On November 13, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Butch DeFeo Jr. murdered his entire family in their sleep. One year later, the Lutz family purchased the house in Amityville, New York, where the horror took place. George and Kathy Lutz then claimed they experienced shocking paranormal phenomena in the house. Green slime oozing from the walls, a creature with red eyes, and multiple family members levitating in their beds. The claims appeared in Jay Anson's 1977, The Amityville Horror, which inspired the 1979 movie of the same title, which inspired many more movies. Why did Mary Shelley carry her dead husband's heart? The author of Frankenstein, Mary Shelley, is world-renowned for her terrifying fiction, but few know that she had a dark secret of her own. Shelley's husband, Percy, drowned at the age of 29 when his boat was caught in a storm in 1822. Percy's body and those of his fellow sailors were found 10 days later. Percy, Shelley, the others were cremated, but Shelley's heart did not burn, perhaps due to the bout of tuberculosis earlier in his life. Mary Shelley eventually took ownership of her late husband's heart and is said to have carried it around in a silk bag. And now a word from our sponsor. And there's been a lot of buzz online about people wanting to put Halloween to the very last weekend of the month in October, which would be heresy considering it always falls on the 31st of October and that's where Halloween should stay. Moving it to another day or another time would be completely absurd. 
It originated with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts and evil spirits. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor All Saints, which All Saints Day became that, incorporated some of the traditions from Samhain, which is Halloween. The evening before was known as All Hallows' Eve, and later Halloween, over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festivities, gatherings, donning costumes, and eating sweet treats. Halloween's origins date back to the ancient Celtic festival. This was 2,000 years ago in the area that is now known as Ireland, the United Kingdom, and Northern France. They celebrated their new year on November 1st. Halloween marked the end of the year. This day marked the end of summer and the harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter, a time of year that was often associated with human death. Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, they celebrated Samhain, when it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, Celts thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids, or Celtic priests, to make predictions about the future. For a people entirely dependent on the volatile nature, natural world, these prophecies were an important source of comfort and direction during the long, dark winter. To um, commemorate the event, Druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the Celts were, wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and it attempted to tell each other's fortunes. And this is where ghost stories around the bonfire started. When the celebration was over, they relit their hearth fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening, from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the coming winter. Did you know that one quarter of all the candy sold annually in the U.S. is purchased for Halloween? Amazing little factoid. By 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. In the course of the 400 years that they ruled the Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. The first was Feralia, a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. (coughs) Sorry, I'm still fighting a cold. The second was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees, the symbol of Pomona in the apple. And the incorporation of the celebration into Samhain probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced even today during Halloween parties. On May 13th, 608 A.D., Pope Boniface V dedicated the Pantheon Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs and the Catholic Feast of All Martyrs Day. That was established on that day in the Western Church. Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs and moved the observance from May 13th to the 1st of November. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with all the supplanted older Celtic rites. In 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd All Saints Day, a day to honor the dead, all souls. It's widely believed 
today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. All Souls Day was celebrated similarly um, along the traditions of Samhain with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallomas from the Middle English Alomese, meaning All Saints. And the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain and the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows' Eve and eventually what we know it as today, Halloween. Celebration of Halloween was extremely limited in colonial New England because the rigid Protestant belief systems there believing that Halloween was much more common with Satanism. It was more commonly practiced in Maryland and the southern colonies and accepted in that region. As the beliefs and the customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, ghost stories, tell each other's fortunes, and dance and sing around the bonfires. Colonial Halloween festivals also featured the telling of ghost stories and mischief-making of all kinds, basically playing pranks on each other. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn festivities were common, but Halloween was not yet celebrated everywhere in the United States. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween nationally. Now playing one of the biggest podcasts of the week on the free iHeartRadio app. Now number one for podcasting. Unparalleled insider access. Get it all. Introducing the SiriusXM Platinum VIP plan. Our newest, most exclusive plan. Listen in two cars, plus stream anywhere with two app logins. Access a massive, exclusive library of live concert video and audio recordings through nugs.net. Have opportunities to experience live and virtual SiriusXM events, including VIP-only exclusives. Get all your questions answered by a dedicated VIP customer care team. Plus, get all the entertainment we've got. It's all included with your Platinum VIP subscription. Be a VIP. Call 844-711-8800 to learn more. Offer details apply. One login for activated vehicle. Not available in Canada. Class is in session. What the hell is going on out there? Avery said aloud as several teachers and students were slamming their doors. One by one and shutting off the lights. This is... Standard drill protocol for an active shooter lockdown. They have practiced for an event like this over and over the last few years. Why would we have a drill during the week of state testing? Avery asked. Mr. Miller looked confused by what was going on around them. He hadn't received a memo about any kind of drill or lockdown. Students, stay seated. Don't move and please remain silent. I'm going to have a look at what is happening down the hall. Mr. Miller carefully opened the door. He was holding his breath as he stretched his upper body around the doorway in order to see what all the commotion was about. 
Along the hallway, only half of the lights were on. Mr. Miller could see two figures at the far end of the hall. One of them appeared to be dragging one leg behind them as if they were injured. He could hear faint screaming and yelling coming from the far end of the building. "'What do you see, Mr. Miller?' Sophie shouted from the back of the room, with fear and desperation in her voice. Mr. Miller jumped out of his skin. He instructed his class to stay silent. However, the sudden outburst from his students startled him and resulted in his upper body hitting loudly against the door. The two figures down the hall started moving closer toward the classroom. Mr. Miller closed the door and then locked it. He shut off the lights and told his students to move to the far side of the room, away from the door and out of sight. His students did as instructed in a hurried fashion and prepared for the worst. Mr. Miller crouched down in front of the door, using his weight to help hold it in place. This was completely unnecessary considering he already locked the door and released the doorstop. His extra measure gave him peace of mind. Footsteps could be heard coming closer to the door. It sounded like someone stomping, running, and dragging their feet simultaneously. Whoever it was kept smacking their hands against each door on the way to Mr. Miller's classroom. Two shadowed figures appeared through the glass of the door. They pressed their faces against the window and proceeded to smack and bang against the door. More shouting could be heard coming from the main doors of the school. This was close to Mr. Miller's room. Police! Back away from the door! A male could be heard. Down to the ground now! A female voice commanded. Both of the uninvited guests moved quickly from Mr. Miller's door, and they proceeded towards the police officers. The police instructed them once again to lie down on the ground, but they did not comply. Mr. Miller stood up and peered through the window of the door and watched in horror as the police started to open fire on the two suspects. It sounded like a firing range in the middle of the hall. Mr. Miller watched one shot after another go in and out of their bodies as they continued to move in on the police officers. Why are they stopping? How are they still alive? Mr. Miller said aloud. The students who were huddled along the far wall of the classroom started to panic. What's happening, Mr. Miller? Who's out there? One of the students cried out. Mr. Miller backed away from the door and had to steady himself after what he just witnessed. The two invaders, who were being shot to pieces by the police, were still moving in on them. One of the strangers grabbed an officer and bit into his neck, ripped out his carotid artery, and with a single bite and clawed out his eye like a rabid animal. Mr. Miller had a look of absolute terror in his eyes. In the midst of all the commotion, the students in the classroom were panicked and screaming, Students, stay where you are, Mr. Miller commanded. He reached under his desk and pulled out a handgun. The student's level of panic increased. Mr. Miller removed a key from his pocket and used it to open the bottom drawer to his desk. He then grabbed a small box of bullets. With shaky hands, Mr. Miller loaded the clip and inserted that into his weapon. The screaming and the banging that was unfolding in the hall was getting louder and more intense. The students in the class were inconsolable. They were beyond horrified by what was happening. Mr. Miller's attention was pulled from the loading of the gun back to the door, 
There were now four people visible at the window, beating on the door and pushing the window with a bloodthirsty look in their cold eyes and foam oozing from their mouths. Mr. Miller finally loaded his firearm and was attempting to raise it against the intruders. The safety and well-being of his students was the only thing on his mind. He raised his weapon and moved forward without noticing that his swivel chair was directly in his path. His ankle rolled as he made contact with the chair. This caused him to tumble forward. Mr. Miller lost his grip and dropped his gun. The impact made after hitting the floor caused his weapon to discharge and fired a single shot directly through his chin and burst out through the back of his neck, severing his spine. His lifeless body dropped to the floor like a bag of flour in front of his entire class. All of the order within the classroom was now gone and it wasn't coming back. Crying, screaming, and vomiting by many of the students echoed throughout the room. The threat from outside of the class broke through the glass and started to pour in through the doorway. The two police officers that were outside attempting to stop the intruders were now tattered and eviscerated shells of their former selves. They had death in their eyes and were hungry for more. The students were trapped in their class. There was nowhere for them to hide or to escape. A few of the students took chairs and began to break the windows in an attempt to flee. Several of the other students grabbed items near them as a means to defend themselves and fight for their lives. To their shock and horror, Mr. Miller suddenly sat up post-death and looked in their direction with death and hunger in his eyes. One of the students lunged towards the gun on the floor, intending to use it to save his classmates. He got a little too close to Mr. Miller, who was still sitting up on the floor. The student was grabbed by their teacher and pulled down to his level, where Mr. Miller bit into his face. He removed the student's nose and right cheek with the gnashing of his teeth, peeling it away like a huge piece of beef jerky. The remaining students climbed through the windows to evacuate, regardless of being on the second floor. Mr. Miller and the four other flesh eaters moved in on the barely conscious student and feasted on what remained. What started out as a normal day for the students of CHS was now a living nightmare. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this Halloween preview of Paranormally Speaking. I'm your host, Neil Parks. My big Halloween special will be at the end of October, of course. But I still like to discuss and inject certain Halloween anecdotes into episodes leading up to the annual Halloween special. I believe it was last year or the year before I did The Raven from Edgar Allan Poe. Uh, Word for word. That was a lot of fun. It was experimental, and I think it paid off well. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Have a great weekend. Keep getting geared up for Halloween. Keep your eyes on the skies. Listen to those bumps in the night. If you see something scurrying around outside, a shadow on the corner of your eye, could be a werewolf, could be a coyote, could be a ground squirrel, or a shadow being. Keep exploring those cemeteries and abandoned properties. Keep the faith and have a great day. Keep your head straight and be nice to people. Thank you. Stay as beautiful. Dark.